Here we go. West Hills Friends is a Quaker meeting in Portland, Oregon. You can find more information about our community at westhillsfriends.org. As a Quaker community, we encourage everyone to share from their hearts, especially as it pertains to God's leading in their lives. These words are shared into a community that values the opportunity to respond and dialogue about what is said. The responses and dialogue are not included in this recording. The views expressed in this content are solely those of the original contributors. And do not necessarily speak for the entire West Hills Friends community. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening. Have a wonderful day. My scripture reading this morning, his psalm, comes from Psalm 139, verses 1 through 14. That's written in your bulletin for those of you who might want to spend time with it later on. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such <coughs> knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to understand. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. In this world, there are more closets in which we hide from one another than any of us can even begin to imagine. I've come to wonder if every person might not have an inner closet where they hide. I've also come to realize that daring to come out of one's own unique, very personal closet probably always requires enormous courage. After all, we hide parts of ourselves for only one reason, to fit in, to belong. We humans have seemingly always hidden certain parts about our, certain truths about ourselves in order to fit in and be accepted by our people. The specifics of what we hide depends on what is considered unacceptable by our family, our religion, and our culture in our particular time in history. Gender identity and sexual preferences are only two of the parts of ourselves which humans have required one another to disown down through the ages. I passionately believe that humankind is now being called by God to leave all closets behind. That each of us is being called to courageously live our own truth as never before in history. I further believe that Jesus powerfully set these energies in motion over 2,000 years ago 
through his revolutionary life and teachings. To my mind, Jesus is the liberator above all liberators, alive and at work among us all across the world. In the words of author Annie Dillard, it is madness to wear ladies' hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. <laughs> Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to the pews. For the waking God may draw us to where we can never return. The waking God draws us out of our closets. A closet is an achingly lonely place to live, not only because it doesn't allow anyone to really know us, but also because it doesn't allow us to really know ourselves or to live the lives we were born to live. We cannot fully know ourselves or truly be ourselves in isolation. God made us to live in community. God hardwired us to belong. To know and be known and to live full lives, we need to live our God-given truth in the midst of loving community, as matter-of-factly and as naturally as our hearts beat and our blood flows. Every one of us needs to feel safe, loved, and recognized exactly as we are, no matter how different any of us may appear to be or how different we may feel. For whether we know it or not, we are all inexorably connected to one another through our hearts and our souls. When even one of us is marginalized or rejected for being who we are, even very subtly, it affects us all. In response, the rest of us, consciously or unconsciously, wall off aspects of our own natures that might cause us to be rejected. So when even one person isn't safe to be themselves, welcomed and appreciated as a contributing, valued member of their community, no one is safe to be themselves. My own closet is not one you're likely to have encountered before, but a closet is a closet is a closet. And now might be the time when Annie Dillard would say to strap on your crash helmets. Before I begin my own story, I want you to know that I don't need you to believe all that I'm about to tell you. Just listen for whatever speaks to you. When I was a pre-verbal toddler, my mother was deathly ill with hepatitis, fighting for her life. My father temporarily signed my brother and me into an orphanage, a safe place where we could be cared for while our father held down his job and spent every spare hour in the hospital with our mother. As it turned out, the place we were taken was anything but safe. My four-year-old brother was taken to our ailing grandmother's house after two weeks at the orphanage because he no longer spoke or appeared to hear. I remained there without him for another month. By the end of that time, I had learned never to behave naturally or let anyone know what was going on inside of me. I knew that terrible things happened to me and to the people I loved most, specifically my brother, when I expressed my true feelings and behaved naturally. Back home again, after six weeks, those lessons stuck. By then, I had gotten really good at pretending to be who and what I was required to be. 
I kept it up once I was home, not understanding that this had been a necessary strategy to try to keep me safe, but that now I really was safe. From then on, the only time I let my guard down was when I was alone. Solitude became my refuge. Then one day, when I was eight years old, something happened in my solitude that changed me forever, and which I believe planted in me the seed that would one day give me the strength and courage to leave my lifelong closet behind. I tried to put this in writing, and it wouldn't go. So the only way I know how to share it with you is through song. And it's kind of long, so bear with me. And maybe because of that, I think some of you, at least, might like to close your eyes and go back to be an eight-year-old and experience this with me. Lying back on the grass, looking up at the sky, watching the white, beautiful clouds drifting on by. Caressed by soft winds, with warm sun on my face. I was too young to think of fine words like rapture and grace. I wonder, I thought, if God's really real. I wonder what death is and how it will feel. I wonder if I will still be once I die. Is death all there is, or is death a door to new life? In a breath, my world changed, though it still looked the same. I was filled with a life-changing knowing that words cannot name. I was one with it all, without boundaries or walls. And no matter what life or death was, I was part of it all. For I wasn't too young to be one with all things. Not too young to feel the sweet rapture that brings. Not too young for grace. Not too young for awe. Not too young to receive the pure love of what some call God. Carly, could I have my water? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't working. Momentary break. In those moments of bliss, I lived eons of grace with the wind in my hair and the sun on my face. I knew it mattered not if I lived once I died, for my life and all others were one across what some call time. If anything lives, I thought, feeling breezes and sun, if anything walks or flies or crawls, if anything runs, if another feels love or feels wonder or peace, it will be exactly as if I were here, even if I have ceased. For I wasn't too young to be one with all things. 
not too young to feel the sweet rapture that brings not too young for grace not too young for all not too young to receive the pure love of what some call god not too young to receive the pure love of what some call god having learned very early in life that my most precious experiences were the most dangerous ones to reveal i was 40 before i told that experience to another soul but I soon began to receive God's guidance through simple knowings and occasional inward visions. As a child, I never connected any of this with God. This pure love that I'd experienced was as far as it could possibly have been from the God had been taught about in the orphanage, that place that I had years earlier blotted from all memory. Later, as a young woman, through what I now recognized as divine nudgings, I began to share glimpses of my true self with others, and so to catch my first sight of interrelational freedom. After another decade or so, memories of lives I'd lived in different times and different cultures began to arise in me, spontaneous and startling. Some of these past life selves were men, some women and others little children. Yet each of them was me, they were distinctly my memories. If you've never experienced this, no words could ever tell you what it's like. If you have, you already understand without my trying to explain. Somebody asked me once how I know their past life memories and not visions. All I could say was, the feeling is radically different. A memory, whether of something that happened years ago or in another lifetime, feels completely different from a vision. It is something from your past, a familiar part of your journey, even if you'd previously forgotten it. In a great many lands and cultures, both past and present, it's taken for granted that we live multiple lives. Memories of other lifetimes are shared freely and heard with interest, often looked to for current day guidance or meaning for the community as a whole. In our culture, however, most of us who have memories of other lifetimes at least initially keep them close to the chest, sharing them with only a trusted few, if at all. I was no exception. Then, one day, almost 20 years ago now, while I was waiting in the car during my son's piano lesson, I had my first, first-person memory of Jesus. This was actually a flashback rather than an ordinary memory, for I wasn't remembering something from a long ago past, but was re-experiencing it through all my senses and my entire consciousness as if it were happening right then and there to me. For a few moments there in the parking lot, I was a man, a disciple of Jesus, experiencing my Lord's crucifixion firsthand. My anguish was as intense and personal as if Jesus were physically nailed to the cross right there in front of me, Lori. And then it passed, leaving me indescribably shaken, sobbing and gasping for air. What had just happened? A few minutes later, my son came out to the car and I had to act normal. I felt anything but normal. 
Was I going crazy? What did it mean? I had no framework for this. Though I had become somewhat accustomed to past life memories, this was completely inconceivable. I told no one, dared tell no one. What would people think? How would people treat me if they knew? I prayed to God earnestly, passionately, to take this memory from me. Instead, as days went on, more memories of Jesus and life as a disciple arose, every one of them unbidden. Sometimes they came days or weeks apart, other times there were several a day, a snippet here, a glimpse there, each arising when I least expected it. A few elicited anguish, others wonder and awe and indescribable joy, yet every one of them left me shaken, questioning my experience, questioning my stability. I intensified my prayers, praying over and over again that if these memories weren't real, or even if they were real, but it wasn't God's will that I remember them, that God would take them from me. Though they continued to grow in frequency and clarity, I continued to ask to be set free, much as people in our culture do when they discover that they are attracted to members of their own gender or that they feel as if they were born into the wrong body. Twelve years passed before I finally began to truly accept that these were actual memories and that God wanted me to remember them. Some of you understand from experience how it could have taken me so long. A few years ago now, I finally responded to God's persistent leadings to start putting these memories into writing. I felt strongly that I was to share them with others in some way at some point in time. This is the primary focus of the writing that I'm doing at the coast, which I've most frequently described to those who ask as spiritual memoir, which it is, just not in the way that most people would think of it. Sometimes the words would practically write themselves. Other times I'd hit a wall and no words seemed adequate for what I wanted to say. The writing ebbed and flowed, as is common with writing proje projects. In the course of this past year, however, the writing has been progressively drying up, like a river in a too long parched land. No matter what I did, I couldn't seem to open myself again to a natural flow. I was getting more and more bogged down, my writing coming more from the head than from the heart. I asked God to free me from writer's block, to show me what to do to let the writing flow. In response, I felt him telling me to share my writing with others, just as he had pretty much told me from the start. I still held back from doing so, wasn't sure why, but couldn't seem to step forward, and the writing continued to dry up. Finally, I got it. Finally, I understood what God had been telling me. Part of me had never released the belief that my deepest and most precious truths are dangerous, that terrible things will happen to people if I don't behave as people expect and want, or if I slip up and let people see how I really am, the ways that I'm different. So that was why I'd been so resistant to share my writing. The ways that Jesus set my soul free over 2,000 years ago and all that I heard and learned and witnessed and experienced in my years as his disciple are right at the top of my life's most precious treasures. 
but it wasn't safe to let people know that those memories existed or how I felt about them. The whole picture now came clear to me. Through all the months and years that I've sought to follow God's leadings to write down my treasured memories, I have, at the very same time, been desperately trying to stay hidden, to stay silent and safe, and to avoid notice. I've been trying to ride one heck of a fence. To even begin to write this book, I had to trust in Jesus and to actively follow his teachings, trusting him more than I could even imagine trusting. But what I remained deaf to was God telling me that as long as I stayed in hiding, I could never bring this work to fruition. As long as I remained in hiding, my writing would not flow. I was walling it off. My secrecy, born of fear, could only feed my fear, keeping me imprisoned and bound. So today, doing my best to follow in the footsteps of those of you who have come out before me, I dare to open my closet door and step out into community. Here I am, and here you are. The safest, most compassionate, loving, and respectful community I've ever known. As I said, I don't need you to believe that my memories of Jesus are real. After all, it's taken me years and years to believe it myself. I just need to step out of my closet in your presence and own my own experience. This experience that is so precious to me, so tender, and so central to who I am and to all that matters most to me. If you're uncomfortable with this, with what I've shared today, that's okay. I get it. I've gone through more discomfort around this than anyone on the outside ever could. We're all in this together. For this story is not just about me. I believe with all my heart that humankind across the world is being called to let our light shine, to unbury our treasures so we can use them in service to the Lord of love. I believe that we are being called to learn to live radical compassion, much as Jesus' disciples sought to live 2,000 years ago under the Master's direct guidance and abiding love. Can we trust that God knew what he was doing when he created each of us? Can we trust that he also knows what he's doing when he calls us into community with one another? Can we, like Jesus' disciples before us, learn to cut ourselves and one another a whole lot of slack as we learn new ways together? May those who have not yet come out of hiding take courage so that all closet doors anywhere in the world may one day be opened wide and all closets be unoccupied. May every one of us here at West Hills, every one of us in our newborn Sierra Cascades yearly meeting, and every person everywhere come to know in our breath and in our bones that we can be safe and loved and recognized in community as the unique person we truly are, the unique person God made each of us to be.